Man, it is, uh, I am stoked to be back in the saddle after uh, being gone for three months. Uh, if you are new here, I have greatly missed this church. I've been away for three months on a three-month sabbatical. Uh, I'm supposed to get a sabbatical every seven years. Uh, but uh, uh, after uh, 25 years here, I decided it was finally time to take one. I figured you needed a sabbatical as much as I needed a sabbatical, right? And so uh, uh, I've been off for, for three months, and uh, I just haven't been uh, sitting at the house, okay, just like, uh, you know, sitting there uh, eating potato chips. I, I've, I've really been in doing a lot of work, harder work, to be quite honest with you, than, uh, than uh, it, it has been on a day-to-day basis when I come to the office. And I'm going to share a little bit about that today. I'm going to share with you some of the things uh, that I learned uh, about myself over this sabbatical. Uh, I'll give you a 30,000-foot view because there's no way I can share everything with you. That'll come out through for years, okay? But uh, today I want to give you a 30,000-foot view of sort of uh, what God has shared with me and, and led me to over my sabbatical. Uh, and uh, man, I'm just, I'm grateful to you for allowing me to, to have this time. Being a pastor is, it's a little bit different than most jobs. I mean, you you know that. Uh, uh, most jobs you can sort of you, you shut off in some way. Now, here's what I know. I know that no matter what you do in today's world, you work a lot of hours. I mean, that's just the way we're set up. Probably both husband and wife, many families are two-income families, and if you're a one-income family, I mean, you're, you're the, the, the one who stays at home, probably to take care of the kids or whatever, that, that's a never-ending job. The one who works, you're, you're, bringing, you're working a lot of hours and you bring work home, right? Uh, but there's, there's sort of a shut-off to your job at some level. I mean, if you're an attorney, uh, let's say, uh, you know, I know you as an attorney, you work a lot of hours. You bring work home and you do work. But when you come home, uh, you, you, you're not, you know, the lawyer, you're a husband, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're a father and you're not talking jurisprudence, you're not talking law, you know, with your friends when you hang out, you're just hanging out. Being a pastor is a little bit different, right? I mean, uh, it, it, it's, it blends uh, and it blurs really the personal, your personal life, your, your spiritual life, your work life. Life, all of those are blurred into one uh, in, in such a way that you can never really shut it off, right? I mean, when I go fishing with you, if I go fishing with you, I go as your friend, right? I mean, I'm your friend, but I'm also your pastor. I can't shut that off. You can't shut that off, right? When I go home, I'm Amy's husband, and but guess what? I'm also Amy's pastor. Uh, I'm my kid's father, but I'm also their pastor. You just can never shut that off. And you know what? I, I had went through these last 25 years here and the last 30 years of ministry really with not an understanding of how that affects you, to be quite honest. And so, uh, man, uh, through this sabbatical, I learned uh, some, some, some really, really uh, uh, important things about myself. And, and uh, as I said, I'm supposed to do this every seven years, uh, but, man, I, I just didn't, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't do it. And, and when I did it, and it's like I said, it's not sitting on the beach sipping a drink, right? I mean, it's doing some hard work. It's doing some, it, 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 the focus of this whole thing, and we're set up to give, to give uh, you know, uh, to give me a sabbatical every seven years because so that, not so I can just go and get away and, and do nothing. I, folks, I worshiped every Sunday. I, I went and I visited churches. Uh, uh, I missed a t- one or two, and then I was traveling uh, one or two. Uh, but I went and visited churches, and man, I learned some great things. God's doing some great things in churches in Middle Tennessee, but I also learned what a privilege it is to be a part of this church, right? I learned what a great privilege it is to be a part of this church. But a sabbatical is not to just sit around and not to just, that wasn't what I was doing. It, 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 it's, it's a time to, uh, to do some family work, to do some soul work, and to really focus on being with Christ as opposed to doing for Christ, 
okay? And, and, and really, that, that's what it's about. And so, so uh, you know, thank you for allowing me to take that time to sharpen the ax, okay? I really appreciate a church that says, man, we understand that, and thank you for allowing me that time. I also want to say thank you to our staff. You know, uh, in Numbers, the book of Numbers, Moses, is, God has charged him with leading the entire nation of Israel. Uh, in that book, uh, it's wearing him down. And of course, we know Jethro's advice, but God gives Moses uh, in the book of Numbers, we see God gives him 70 leaders out of the nation as a gift to help him shoulder and carry the load uh, for the entire nation. And that was a great gift to, to Moses, right? And, and even Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, who was the chief priest, basically, he gave Aaron the gift of the Levites, the whole Levite tribe, as his help, as a gift, to, to help minister in the tabernacle. Well, folks, God, and I, I was made acutely aware that God has given me an incredible gift of our staff, uh, a great staff, so that when I, when I am gone, they tag in so that we not, don't miss a beat. And man, uh, I, I am grateful for our staff. And you see people when they speak, I know, but man, there is so much that goes on. It's not just a speaking. Uh, the heart, you know, as you don't see your heart, you don't see everything that goes on. And I am so grateful. And I love our staff. And I thank God for our staff. And God has given us a great staff. As a matter of fact, I know that uh, somebody last night, one of our media guys posted on Facebook, look who's back and talking about I'm coming back today. And there were some comments and one lady he said, hey, welcome back. I'm glad you're coming back, but please, please speak slow because now I'm used to all the slow speakers, right? And so uh, I, I'm not promising anything today, but, uh, you know, I, I might try to speak uh, a little slower. And so I just want to say thank you to the church and thank you to our staff for allowing me to have this thing. Now, by the way, uh, a lot of things happen on my sabbatical. Let me tell you one thing. Uh, you know, if you've been around here a long time, you know I love, I love animals, right? I mean, I love animals especially cows, because they make great steak, right? Um, so I always have a little fun with vegetarians and uh, vegans and, you know, pita. And it's just, it's just nice fun, right? I mean, it's just joking and fun. But I always have fun. But, you know, it, you get the last laugh if you're a vegetarian, because uh, what, uh, what I, I mean, my son, actually, my son got married several months ago, my, my, my 25-year-old son. He got married several months ago. And when he decided, man, this is the one, I'm going to bring her home to meet my, my mom and dad. And he called and said, Dad, I'm, I'm bringing Carrington, my, my girlfriend. You know, they've been dating a short while. I'm bringing her home for dinner, and I want to meet you. Yeah, great. He said, Dad, um, i got something to tell you. I'm like, what is it, son? Uh, she's a vegetarian. And I'm like, what? Now, son, the Bible says a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. I'm sure a man should not marry a vegetarian either, right? <laughs> I was joking, man. We love her. I said, that'll let us, let us, that'll let us have all the good food anyway. So anyway, <laughs> I'm back. Uh, you hadn't heard those things in a while, right? Uh, Anyway, you know, I, I've always had fun, but here's what happened, man. I, while I was away, I had two major allergic reactions to red meat. And so I go to Vandy, I get tested, and man, I'm, I, I was diagnosed with severe alpha-gal. Now, you're like, what is severe alpha-gal? Well, severe alpha-gal is where you get bit by a tick or many ticks, and I get bit by ticks all the time because where I live and I hunt and, and all those kind of things. And so I, 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 from a tick bite has rendered me allergic to red meat for life. I promise <laughs> I can't eat red meat. Can you believe that? 
ever again. Or I'll go into, I mean, like, man, if you see me, that's what this bracelet is. It's like a, uh, you know, it's one of those things. If you see me, like, <clears throat> hit me with an EpiPen, right? And so, but so you, uh, you get the, uh, the, the last laugh, all right? And so uh, it, it, it's sort of, I think it's probably deserving, but, uh, uh, but you, you know, so I'll, I'll, I won't eat red meat again. So I might be a little ill. That's one thing, you know, but we're, we're getting through that great. My wife, Amy, has done a great job of helping me transition uh, into turkey. I can't eat, if it's got hoof or fur, I can't eat it. If it, I can only eat if it's got fins or feathers, if I want to live. And so I sort of want to live. And so Amy's done a great job of helping me transition and not miss it much. But yeah, I thought you would enjoy, uh, you know, me getting the last laugh. We don't believe in karma here, but, you know, I do get deserve that probably. But uh, anyway, we got to get started because i got to preach. We're starting a new series today, a four-week series uh, on Philippians, and it's called Joy Thieves, right? You probably saw the, the, uh, uh, the logo. It's called Joy Thieves. Why are we calling it Joy Thieves? We're calling it Joy Thieves because... The theme of the entire book of Philippians is joy. Uh, it's the book of joy. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And what makes it amazing is Paul is in prison when he writes this. He, he got through into prison because he caused this disturbance because he cast a demon out of a, uh, of, of a girl uh, who was using those powers to tell people's fortunes. And, and she had sort of a, a, you know, a, a, a manager, if you want to say, a Vegas manager. And he got upset and he complained. And the, basically they threw Paul into prison as a result of it. And so, uh, uh, but, uh, and so he, he, he ends up starting this church in Philippi. And uh, when, when he starts this church in Philippi, it's a, I love the church in Philippi because it's a lot like us because there was this girl who was, uh, you know, I, I mean, a demon possessed that probably got saved and was a part of this church. You got the jailer who, you know, the Roman jailer who was going to kill himself after uh, God released Paul from the bonds. And Paul said, hey, we're here. Don't worry. And so you got a Roman, you got this demon possessed girl, you got Lydia, you got, you know, all these people from different backgrounds, cultures, and ethnicities that come up and make up the very first church in Europe. This church in Philippi was the very first church in all of Europe, okay? And it, and it was a very, very ethnically diverse, culturally diverse, uh, di really diverse church. And I love it because of that. But Paul writes from prison, and, he's, and he's, it's all about joy, okay, which is so foreign to us. How can you be imprisoned? How can you be in a state to where you can't do anything, but you're writing about joy? And so we're going to learn some things about joy and what steals our joy, because that's why it's so relevant, because everybody's looking for joy, right? Everybody's looking for joy. Very few people ever find it. And so, because there's these little joy thieves that are all over our world. They're running around, and right now they're stealing your joy, and you don't even know it. And so we're going to talk about some of these things, all right? And, you know, our founding fathers, they even realized this idea. Because as our country was being founded, they wrote this, this document called the Declaration of Independence. And you, hopefully you've studied it a little bit. And in the Declaration of Independence, one of the most famous lines is what? We have the, the right to life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Now, in, in, it tells you right off the gate, right out of the gate, that they, they had a clue. You've got the right to life. You've got the right to liberty. But you don't have the right to happiness. You have the right to the pursuit of happiness, okay? It's, it's elusive. You, it, it's hard to find. And that's exactly what Americans have done. I mean, from the founding of our country, we've spent our life pursuing happiness. But very few have ever found it, folks. We pursue it at all costs. We look for it, and we think, man, where am I going to be happy? Where am I going to get joy? Where is all this stuff going to come from? Oh, I get it. If I had a new truck, 
Boy, that would give me happiness. And it does for a moment, but then it's fleeting, it's gone. If I had a new house, and man, you get that new house, and man, you're happy for a moment, and then it's like, okay, it's a house, uh, you know, it didn't do it. If I had uh, a new job, and you get a new job, and if that's where you're placing your happy, you know, and it moves on. If I had a new wife, or if I had a new husband in our world, right? And so, if I had, a, if the Vols would just win, and if that's what you're looking for, man, you hadn't been happy since 98, okay? I mean, you've been a miserable mess since 98. And so, you maybe you need a new team. That'd make you happy, right? And so, we, we, we look at it and we think, man, if, if I just had something new and we go from thing to thing and, and thing to thing and we never really find it, right? Well, here's what I want you to understand. I don't ever preach at you. I preach at us, okay? I don't ever do this. And when I do this, I'm doing that. It's coming right back at me. Pastors are no different. I want you to understand that. This, this thing is a battle within all of us. Pastors are no different. Let me, let me tell you what happened while, while I was away. Man, when I had a sabbatical, when we, when we started on our sabbatical, uh, you know, the first three weeks were incredible. It was really like, sort of like a vacation, the first three weeks. It was incredible. I mean, I took three days, and man, I was having two and three hour quiet times with the Lord. I'd get up in the morning. I didn't have to be at work. I didn't have to be at the office. I didn't have a meeting. I didn't have somebody to counsel. I didn't have to work on a sermon. I didn't have an appointment. And man, I'd get up in the morning and I'd go in my office at the house and I would come out in two to three hours and I wouldn't even realize I'd been in there that long. And God, and it was amazing. God was, I was reading uh, some books and I'm going to tell you what they were, some of them in a moment. And God was doing some stuff and it was amazing for three days. And then I went fishing in Michigan for a week and uh, with, took Isaiah and went fishing, Peyton took his son Matthew, and we went fishing in Michigan for a week, the great time. And I come back for about a week, and it was great. But three weeks in, something happened to me. And I'm going to be pretty vulnerable with you today if I can, all right? And, and uh, because I really think this is a story that, that man, can help a lot of people. Uh, because about three weeks in, something happened to me that's never happened in my life. Never. I went into the deepest, darkest depression I, I, some of you know, you, you know what that means. I don't. I've never been depressed. Now, everybody feels down. Everybody gets sad sometimes. Everybody has bad moments. This wasn't that. I wasn't feeling depressed. I was, dep I was in depression. I mean, this deep, I was in a dark place. And I'm thinking, man, I'm off. I'm, I've been having great quiet times with the Lord. And, 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 I'm, and I was doing some soul work, and, and I thought, well, that's it, man. And I'm going to quit doing this soul work, and I'm going to go back to work, Right? because I don't want to feel this way. And man, I, I just went into this deep, dark depression and, and I couldn't come out of it. And to be honest with you, I, I, was, I was scared because I, I'd never felt this emotion. I'd never felt this, 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 this hopelessness that I was feeling. I couldn't make a decision. I didn't want to do anything. And I mean, it was just like, I, I, for uh, one week went by and I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna pull out of this. I two weeks went by and I'm just like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't want to do anything, folks, just to be quite honest. And Amy, I mean, I wasn't talking to anybody. I wasn't talking to any of our staff. I wasn't, talk, wasn't talking to anybody. I was just like, some of you know what I feel like because you've been there. But I'd never been here. I didn't know what this was. And before, I've always been like, oh, if you feel depressed, just change your attitude, you know. I mean, pull your bootstraps. And all of a sudden, God's taken me to this place. And here's what happened. Amy said, Pat, I'm worried about you. You need to get some help. And before I went on my sabbatical, the staff knew I would be doing, our senior team, they knew I would be doing a lot of soul work. They knew I would, some of the books that we had set aside for me to read, and they knew I'd be doing a lot of soul work. And so they said, uh, one day in our meeting, right before I left, they said, we know you're going to be doing a lot of soul work, and the Lord's going to be doing some stuff in your life. Who are you going to process that with? 
meaning counseling. I said, you mean counselor? Nobody. Me and the Lord's going to do it. I've tried that a couple of times, and it just didn't work, right? I, I've tried that. So me and the Lord's going to do it. So about three weeks in, the Lord said, okay, Pat, if you're not going to listen to your homies, you're going to listen to me. And so he got me to a place of desperation. He got me to a dark place to where I couldn't feel the Lord. I couldn't, I mean, I was having better quiet times than I've ever had. You've been there. I couldn't feel the Lord. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't make a decision. I didn't know what was going on. And so Amy said, Pat, you've got to have some help. And so uh, the Lord led us to a place in Florida, to a ministry in Florida, a ministry called Blessing Ranch. What it is, it's psychologist. And all they do is pastors because it's such a specialized deal. And it's a psychologist that, that, that they focus on pastors and ministry, and that's all they do. And I'd, I'd, I'd done some research and some pastors of some large churches and some churches, other churches, missionaries had been there and, and, and said, man, you need. And so, so the Lord worked it out. And so Amy and I take off, and we go to Florida, and we spend a week in Florida. And, and maybe some of you right, might remember, Amy, or something posted in Florida, and you thought we were down there hanging on the beach. And, <laughs> man, we really wasn't. Here's what we did. We went to Florida, and I spent four hours a day talking with a psychologist. Four hours. Can you imagine that? It's an intensive. It was a week's intensive. I spent four hours talking to a psychologist, me and Amy both. And then we spent another four hours, two hours in the morning, two hours plus in the morning. Then we'd go process for two hours. Then we'd come back and eat lunch with her, our psychologist. Then we'd process, be with her for two more hours. And then we'd go process for two or three more hours with homework. So we were spending eight to ten hours a day in this intensive process. Day one, after day one, I, I, immediately when I went there, and all day one was was me telling my story. She said, I, I, I want you to tell me your story. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm writing this stuff down. And this afternoon, all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray through this. And I'm going to come back tomorrow. And we're going to begin unpacking who you are and a pathway to get you healthy. And I said, right, people try. Now, ain't no way. You know, we're going to do that in a week. And so I, all day telling my story. And I thought, man, I, I don't know how this is going to go. All day. I was saying stuff I never thought I would ever say before. I was just like, the, the Holy Spirit was where I was just like, man, I was just pouring my heart out. I was pouring everything I had out. And, 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 and that day, Amy and I, that evening, I said, Amy, it's just amazing. Just sharing my story is so therapeutic. It's like the weight is starting to lift just because I voiced some of these things. And so, and Amy was like, man, she was crying and we were talking and it was a great time. And, and so day two, we come in and, 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 and you know, it, it's just, uh, it, it's amazing. And, and day two, we come in, before we, we go into where we're going right there, uh, what I learned from day two on was all these things that were still in my joy. And they were like, they were like termites. Because, you know, if you've ever had termites, they're underneath the surface and they're in that foundation and they're eating it up, but you don't even know they're there. And you don't know your foundation's about to crumble, right? And that's exactly where I was. My foundation was just being eaten up and I didn't even know it. And so, so all these joy thieves that were there, and, and, and I want to I start this book today because it's so appropriate that we're doing this because when I started, this is the book that I was starting, and it was, it was, so, it was so great. Let me, let, me, let me start. Today, we're just going to focus on two verses, one and two, the introduction, all right? Let, let, let me read them to you. It said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, this is just so, the intro. Most people skim over the intro. It's sort of like when you get an email. It's like, hey, Pat, how you doing? Hope you're doing well. That's sort of the filler, right? That's sort of getting into it. Man, you want to get down to the meat of it. There's no filler in the Bible. Okay? There's no filler. Even when you read genealogies, there's no filler there. It's every word. It's God's word, and it's there for a reason. It's there on purpose, or God wouldn't have put it there. God doesn't just feel things up. He doesn't waste time. And so this is important. Now, Paul uh, is, you know, you've heard it said, or you know people that you've said, man, everything they touch turns to gold. Right? Well, everything Paul touched, it's been said of Paul, everything Paul touched turned to, to the gospel. And even his intro is full of the gospel. And so, when we see his intro here, we begin to see some things that stir joy. First off, notice, he said, it starts out, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, you think, okay, he and Timothy wrote the gospel. That's great. Let's move on to this information. But there's so much more there. If you begin to peel back the layers, there's so much more there. Paul didn't have to mention Timothy as his co-writer. Paul is the, he, Paul's Paul. Paul is the most important, most famous uh, Christian thinker leader, pastor, church planner of his day. He's the old man. Man, he is the one everybody listens to. He's got this young whippersnapper that's coming up, and Paul didn't have to mention Timothy at all, right? He didn't have to mention him. He could have said, oh, that young guy's coming up, and I mean, he's got all these newfangled ways of doing things, and all these people think, that's cool, and man, he could have been threatened by him. He could have been jealous of him. He could have been envious of him. No, no, no. He wanted to uplift him and celebrate him. Right? He didn't have to mention him, but he did. And I believe he did because Paul's thinking of the future of the church. When Paul wouldn't be around, he knows Timothy is going to have authority, and he's giving Timothy credibility right now. He's beginning to build us up. He wasn't jealous. He wasn't envious. Man, he wasn't comparing himself to Timothy or Timothy to himself. They were two different people that God had created in two different, uh, uh, you know, personalities and, and two different skill sets from two different families, from two different places. I, God had created them as individuals, and Paul wasn't comparing. He wasn't envy, envious. He wasn't jealous. He was celebrating Timothy, right? And so, so as, as, we, as we look here, I, man, what, what, what we begin to see is it's jealousy, it's, it, it's, it's envy, and I think it's comparison that begins to just steal your joy. Here's what I learned the second day. Second day after I told my story, here's what happened. The second day, Charity, my assistant, she wasn't with us. That was my psychologist. Her name was Charity. She, she, uh, uh, she came in, and, and she, she said, out of the gate, man, we exchanged pleasantries, and she said, Pat, let me tell you who you are. She said, you're a winner. And I said, you gum right I am. You know me well. This is going to be good, Amy. She said, uh, not in a good way. What do you mean? She said, winning's everything to you. She said, if you don't win, you're a failure. If you don't win, you're not enough. I said, are you telling me that I've got the Charlie Sheen syndrome? <laughs> she said, yeah. Winning, baby. You got to win. And she said, Pat, you, you, you've, you've got to win. And if you don't win, uh, it, 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 it's not enough. And, and you know, and if, if we go back, we, we got to go back, right, to your family of origin. And my dad and I's relationship has always been stressed and tense-filled and not great, to say the least, okay? My dad and my relationship all revolved around sports. 
outside of sports, there was really not a relationship. It was all revolved around sports. He was my baseball coach because baseball was his sport. And I was pretty good at baseball, but I love football. But he was my coach. And, and, and so, man, it, it was always, our relationship was so sports-oriented that from my dad's perspective, if I pitched a no-hitter, and I pitched a few no-hitters, and I was either pitching, I was the ace pitcher, or I was playing shortstop. And if I pitched a no-hitter, I never heard, good job. What I heard was, why'd you walk three people? That's what I heard. Okay, now, when I played, and my dad was my coach, and one day, I'm just, I'm just being vulnerable here. Man, we were practicing, and, and I was at shortstop, and man, I was down, and I didn't get my tailgate down. You know, in baseball language, that's what, my, that's what they had said. Then I didn't, get, I didn't get down enough, and I let a ball go between my legs, and, and man, all of a sudden, I know, here comes a bat. I have to dive, because a bat, <laughs> he threw a bat at me, and like all these kids. This was like, you remember the Bad News Bears? I mean, you know, the coach sitting in the dugout smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. I mean, things wouldn't happen today. I mean, it was a different day, right? And, and so, but not in a good way necessarily. If I played football, and I, I played football in high school, I played linebacker. If I made 15 tackles a game, and I did, I didn't hear, man, great job. Can you? What I heard was, why'd you let the guy get around the end and score? Right? And so it was always this contingent. I, I never heard, I love you. I never heard, I'm proud of you. I never heard, great job. I never heard those things, ever. What I heard was what you didn't do. No hitter, why'd you walk? 15 tackles, why'd you let that one get around the end? That's what I heard. Now, here's what I began, and I began to, and to be honest, after I got back from sabbatical, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish that because I got to, because this is my dad, and um, when I got back, my brother-in-law died from a major heart attack. So I go to East Tennessee to do his funeral, I hadn't been there in four years. I go to East Tennessee to do his funeral, and, and I told Amy, man, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to talk to my dad. So I had an opportunity to talk to my dad, and it was a great talk. And here's what I know. I've been bitter at my dad for, for those things. But I began to understand. This is what I began to understand in Florida. I had a shadow. You know, the shadow is all these accumulated things that you have and, and all this. And I had a shadow, and you have a shadow, and I didn't know it was there. I didn't know the termites that was still in my joy. But I began to realize, man, I was, I was bitter at my dad for this. And I, I began to realize, you know, my dad's got a shadow too. My dad's got a shadow. And, my, and, and, and I began to think about, I know the family that my, grand, my, my dad grew up in. And my grandmother was an Appalachian woman raised in the mountains, no, no running water, no electricity, uh, you know, until she got married, moved out, and I, I mean, and, and all that stuff, none of that. And she, she was a hard, hard, hard woman. So I was able to talk to my dad, and I was able to say, Dad, I, and, you know, and it, it, we started talking, and it turned out great, okay? It turned out great, man. We got, a, we got some stuff, and, and, and this, it, it turned out great, okay? But I was able to say, Dad, I, here's what I know. You know, hold, hold on a minute, Dad. I, I, I love you. I'm not bitter at you anymore because I know you didn't have the capacity to do those things either. So my bitterness turned to empathy because I began to understand some things, Right? But here's what, here's what Charity said, and, and man, that's going in a great place, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that, okay? I'm really excited about that. But here's what Charity said, Pat, you're, the unconditional love that you felt created within you this protective, adaptive behavior that you're going to win at all cost. You're going to win, because if you don't win, you're a failure. If you don't win, 
you're not enough. And Amy and I just looked at each other, and it was like a light switch came on. Because, folks, I, I, I've won all my life. I've won all my, I, we began to recount, I've won all my life. I, Amy and I got married young, and uh, I didn't go to college right out of high school. Amy and I got married young, and when Amy graduated college and she went to work, and I knew by that time I wanted to be a football coach. That's what I wanted to do for life. I wanted to coach high school football. That was my passion. And Amy said, well, you go to college, and I'll work full-time and put you through. And I'm like, yeah, you got it, baby. Thank you, you know. And, and so I, I started college, and I finished college from start to finish, working two jobs with a family in three and a half years with honors. Because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to win. In college, God called me to ministry, and so I knew I wasn't going to coach football for a living, so I was going to go to seminary. I went to seminary, graduated seminary with honors, because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to win. When I was in seminary, I met this guy named Kyle Goen, first day of school. With it, had our little lunch pails. Our wives dropped us off at school. <laughs> and we met, standing in line to register. That's back when you had to go to a real brick-and-mortar school and stand in line to register, Okay. And we stood in line to register, and, and I met Kyle, and, and man, we, God just bonded us together through seminary. And Kyle said, hey, I, my, my home church is looking for a youth pastor, an associate pastor. I said, well, turn my name in. I'll be glad to, to talk to him. So he turned my, gave him my resume. Man, they hired me, and, and, you know, here I go to First Baptist Church of Greenville, Texas, as their youth pastor and associate pastor. And their pastor and I have become, like, really so close. And when I went there, there was about 10 students, 10 uh, there was about 200-plus people in the church, 200, 250 people in the church, about 10 students. Uh, we were there, uh, I think, a little over 18 months, almost two years before I finished seminary and came here. And in that time, we went from 10 students to over 100 students on Wednesday night. We had a translator because I went into Hispanic neighborhoods, and half the, half the kids couldn't speak English. And so I had a translator. I'd preach on Wednesday night, and I had a, one of my teenage girls was translating for me. And, and man, it, it, the, the teenagers were half the church at this point. I came here in February of 94. When I came here in February 94, we had about 35 students. Some of those students are here now. I love it when I baptize the kids of my students. That's just such an amazing thing for me. We had about 35 students and, uh, in February. And it wasn't a great experience starting out, to be quite honest. Matter of fact, and I came in February. At the end of March, I came home from work one day, and I told Amy, I said, baby, I'm sorry I brought you to this place. If you'll give us one year, because I'm not going to do that to these people. I'm not going to get out of here now. Give me one year, I'll get you out of here. Because it was just a different place to be quite honest. In that one year, God just radically did some amazing things. February to, to August, there was 185 teenagers on Wednesday night. A year later, there was 250. God began to grow. I mean, our church has grown one campus to five. You know, I mean, I, 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 I mean, you know, uh, we moved, relocated. I, folks, God's done, I, 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 all my life, I've won. I coached football. Little League, the youth league here, AAA. It's the 11 and 12-year-olds, AAA. Some of the guys from here in the church. Every, every year we were either in the championship or the semifinals. Very, worst years, first round of the playoffs. Every year. Listen, I, I, what I'm telling you is I've, I've won all my life. Now, that don't mean I'm good at everything I do. What, here's what, and that's what Charity said, because that made me start thinking, well, I've won. She said, but here's, that don't mean you're good at everything. What that means is you don't attempt anything that you don't think you can win at. I sort of looked at her because, you know, that's why I think golf's a stupid game. <laughs> Nathaniel and our staff 
Some of our staff, they play golf on Fridays. Hey, won't you come out and play golf with them? I'm like, y'all, yeah, I ain't playing a golf. That's the stupidest game I ever heard. I mean, why you want to play a game? They, they whisper. He's coming up on the 18th green. I can't win. I didn't play because I can make all kinds of excuses, but I'm not playing golf. It's not that I can't win every time. Or it's not that I can't beat Nathaniel. It's I can't beat over half of our staff. And if, I'm not, if I can't do that, I'm not going to play. All right? And so, so I, I've won, and the reason that I've won is because it's this adapt, protective, adaptive behavior that makes me okay. And the result is really disastrous to your soul because... Man, if your kids do well, you're winning and you're great. But if your kids don't do well, you're failing and you're miserable. If the church is growing, if the money's up, if people are being baptized, you're great. If one of those is down, you're miserable because you're not winning. And it produces all these frustrations and it manifests itself in, in a definition of success was winning. And here, here, here's what I'm telling you. How do you know you're winning in life? You got more points on the scoreboard, right? That's how you know you're winning. Titans won the other night. Preseason, but the Titans won. Don't get too pumped up about it. But they won. They got more points on the scoreboard, right? So how do you know you're winning? You always evaluate yourself from a standard. And what's the standard? Those who are winning, right? You got, you, you got more clients than anyone else. You're bringing in more money in your job. You're, you, you know, you're, 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 you got the, the biggest this, the better that, more, bigger, better, more. That's how we know we're winning in America, right? Pastors are no different. So what do you do? You find out who's doing better than you, and you begin to evaluate yourself off of what they're doing. And that's just miserable. You know why it's miserable? Because God didn't create you to be that person, number one. And number two, it's not reality. You know the happiest days of my ministry were pre-social media? I began to realize that. The happiest days of my ministry were before Facebook. They were before Instagram. Why? Because you get on Instagram and you just like look at everybody and you know what you do? You start to envy and you start to be jealous and it's so crazy because it's not real. I mean, when's the last time you saw anybody put on their Instagram story a fight with their wife? I mean, video this. I mean, you're screaming at each other. No, you're going to put date nights. We just, man, we were just like killing each other a minute ago. Took that picture and it's like, what do you want for dessert? You ever seen anybody put an Instagram story of their, of their kids striking out? Here he is striking out again. <laughs> no, what you put is the Instagram story when he's running the bases. Let me get that. He's hitting another home run. You know, I mean, pastors don't show up and they've got five people in the room and you know what they do here, here let me tell you what they do they'll get behind those five people and take that shot from an angle that makes it look full you, you know what i'm talking about instagram's not real folks you don't put the real you on instagram don't think you do if you do you need to go see a psychologist too instagram is not real it's a highlight reel right it's your highlights and it's not even real. But what it does is it causes you to go envy and, and, and to be jealous and, and to compare yourself. And, and you know what? I realize that's what I'm doing. Okay, who am I comparing myself? The, 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 the biggest church. That I, man, why are we not doing that? Why are we? And you know what? It leads to misery, and it's, it's crazy, and it's not whole. Here's what I learned. I was holy, folks, but I wasn't whole. 
I was holy, but I wasn't holy. I was holy because let me tell you something. I was doing my quiet time regularly. I was praying. I was studying the scriptures. My zeal for the Lord was there, but I wasn't whole. I had these sore spots that I didn't even know I had. These, these, these spots in my life that, that I didn't even know I had that were just stealing my joy. And one of them was comparison. One of them was like, because, here's what I want you to understand. Ladies, when you compare yourself to the pictures, the unreal pictures in the, in the magazines, you're not going to have joy. Guys, when you compare your job to anybody else's or your bank account, when you compare your car, your truck, your house, when you compare your wife or your husband, you begin, the moment you start comparing, your joy is gone because you're not content. You, students, you compare yourself to your peers, your joy is gone. There's no joy in comparison. And, and, and listen, it's a joy thief. And I began to learn, man, this protective adaptive behavior of winning is still in my joy because it's causing me not to be so content. It's causing me to want more and more and more. Secondly, when we look at this passage, here, here, here's what we see. I, I hope it's okay that I'm being very vulnerable with you today because that's, that's the only way I know how to be, and I'm going to lead way differently from here out. The second thing we see in here is that Paul says that he and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus. Now, notice he says Christ Jesus twice, and then the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference there. Christ is Lord. He puts Christ before Jesus. It talks about uh, him being exalted. And he comes down, Christ the Lord is exalted, and he comes down. Jesus Christ is talking about the suffering servant, Jesus, who then is exalted. And so there's a difference. There's a real reason that Paul talks about and mentions Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ. Okay, and he says we're servants of Christ Jesus. Now, the word servant is the word doulos in the Greek. And you know what it means? Slave. Here's what Paul says. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. What does a slave do? Only what his master says to do. A slave doesn't have a will of his own. He, his will is the will of his master. He does what his master says to do. Paul is a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's an allusion to Exodus 21. And in Exodus 21, Moses talks about a slave that all of a sudden wins his freedom. And when he wins his freedom, here's what he does. He loves his master so much that he devotes himself to his master. I'm going to stay with you now out of not duty, but out of love and joy. I'm going to stay with you. And in Exodus 21, you can go read it. His master puts him against a tree and puts an, an awl through his ear, right? And marks him for life as mine out of joy and not out of duty. That's exactly, I think, the illusion here. Because when you come to Christ out of joy, not duty, you're now a slave. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, it says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. You are a bondservant. You are a slave at one point to sin. You're free from that. But look what it says. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So now you're free, but you're not free to do whatever you want to do. You're free to now serve Christ out of joy, right? Not to just do whatever you want to do. He didn't redeem you from sin so that you could live however you want to live and you still get heaven. No, he, re he redeemed you from the power of sin that keeps you from living the way God wants you to live and called you to live, right? And so, so, so you're free to serve Christ. And so God reveals his will 
in his word. And here's what I've learned. The closer you are, my, my truck right now is, is, is in the shop. It, it's got to have new tie rods and balls, and it's getting what they call align, alignment, right? And when you get your, your car, when it's out of alignment, I don't know all the ins and outs of this. I'm not like a mechanic, but what I know is, is things are working against each other, and it wears your tires out. It wears your car out. The parts are wearing out. And here's what I know. When your life is in alignment with the Lord, man, it's smoother now, I'm not talking about your life is just like sweet, no problems. I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, there, there's a smoothness and there's a joy. The more closely you are aligned to God's word, the more joy you're going to have. The further you're outside of God's word, the absolute less joy you're going to have. Okay? It, the, the less joy you're going to have. And so, so, so during my sabbatical, here, here's what I read. The Lord revealed I was holy. Man, I, I had a passion for God's kingdom. I had a passion to build God's kingdom. I had a passion to start campuses all over the world because I want to reach people for Christ. And that's pure, and that's God's agenda. That's what God wants. I want the church to grow because that's what God wants. That means people are getting saved, and people are coming into the Lord, and people are growing. That's what God wants. And so I, I was devoted to his will and agenda, but here's, here, here's, here's what I also realized. It wasn't just for the glory of God. You know what it was, some of it was about? Some of it was about the fact that I wanted to prove I was good. I wanted to prove I was somebody. I wanted to prove I was worthy, that I was a good leader. And it was making me miserable because it wasn't completely aligned. And it was making me miserable. And folks, if you're not totally surrendered to God's will and God's agenda for his glory, your joy is going to be stolen. You know what the Israelites did? Think about what the Israelites did. The Israelites, God redeemed them from bondage. Here's what he began to do. God redeemed them from bondage, and he took them to the promised land. Man, he was feeding them manna from heaven. He was giving them, and here's what happened. Man, they started to complain and complain, and he took them to the front, sent the spies into the promised land. You remember, one from each tribe, they come back. And Joshua and Caleb, you remember, we can take it. Everybody else like, oh, we can't. I mean, they're big people there. God's, God's brought us out of Egypt. God's took us across the Red Sea, killed the Egyptians in the Red Sea. He's raining down manna from heaven, but he can't take care of these people. We can't do it. And so what did God say? Man, we want to go back to Egypt, they said. We, man, we, we had bread in Egypt. We had food in Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And as a result, what happened, man? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and died out before the next generation could go in. Suffering snake bites and suffering tick-infested woods and all these things. Man, their joy was over here because they were not in alignment with God's will. Here's what I know, folks. What is God's will? The Bible is God's will. And some of you are redeemed. God's redeemed you, and he's given you his will, but you're wandering around, and you can't find joy because you want to go back to Egypt in some area of your life. You want to go back. You long for Egypt in some area of your life. I mean, man, God gives us a sexual ethic in his scripture. His sexual ethic is very clear about sex and sexuality, but we think, man, I love Jesus, but I sort of want to do my own thing here, and I want to go back to Egypt. And you're not surrendered to God's will for God's glory in that area, and it's robbing your joy. God gives you, gives us clear words about money and tithing and giving generously. Thank you, church. Man, when I, when I heard, I preached basically, the, the, uh, it takes a church, and then I went on sabbatical, and I'm thinking, man, how's this thing going to work out? And to be honest with you, I didn't want to know, because if it wasn't good at that point, I'd have been a failure. I'm just honest with you. 
And when I found out what God had done through you and, and how generous you've given to that, and I'm like, praise Jesus from a healthy perspective. It's amazing what God's done to you. But God's told us what to do with money, but we say, oh, man, you know, I want this, this, this. And if I tithe, man, I won't have money to do this. You're going back to Egypt, and you're not joyful, right? I mean, God's told you to serve your wife and love her as Christ loved the church, but you want your wife to serve you, right? I mean, we all, and listen, when we do those things, when God's word is revealed, here's what happens. And we don't follow it, and we don't align with it. Our joy is over here. And so, listen, are you surrendered to God's will? Are you surrendered to God's glory for his joy? For for his glory will be for your joy. That's what we see here. Third, finally, Paul said, he wrote, who did he write to? The saints in Philippi. He wrote to the saints in Philippi. He said, "Now, now, what's a saint? You see, we're confused on what a saint is because Catholicism has really confused us because they've made a saint, you know, uh, dead people who've performed three, uh, you know, post-mortem miracles, and they've been venerated, they've done all this stuff, and now they're on stained glass windows somewhere, and that's what a saint is. People say, I'm not a saint. You know, Saint Christopher necklace, I'm not a saint, right, and, and all this kind of stuff. And Well, that's not what a saint is. Biblically, there's two identities in the Bible. There's saints and there's sinners. A sinner is someone who doesn't belong to Jesus. A sinner is someone who's denied Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's a sinner. A saint is someone who's given their life to Jesus Christ. I'm a saint. I'm St. Patrick, by the way. Okay? I've got my own day. A saint is someone who's given their life to Jesus Christ. It's good. You don't have to get it. I know, Danny, you're getting ready to run up. A saint is someone who's given their life to Jesus Christ. Period. Not because of what you've done. You're not a saint because of anything you've done. Don't think, well, I'm not good enough to be a saint. You're not a saint because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done and who he has made you. That's like Paul says, I'm writing to the saints. That's the church. That's the Christians. I'm writing to the saints. Here's the point, okay? The point is, man, your identity is everything. If your identity is in anything but Jesus Christ, you will not have joy. You will not have joy. It's a joy thief for your identity to be in anything but Jesus Christ. I was holy, but I wasn't whole, folks. Here's what happened. Man, I was holy, but I wasn't whole. I knew I was a saint. I knew I was set apart. I knew all those things in my heart and in my head, but my head was also telling me, if I don't perform, I'm not enough. It's what I accomplish that makes me who I am. And so here's what happened. Okay? One reason I found out, one reason I went into major depression three weeks in, one reason was this. One reason I was doing soul work that was stirring up some stuff that I needed to process. But here's the, the second reason. Man, I, I didn't realize how absolutely exhausted I was. I, I didn't realize all the physiology of your body and serotonin and all this stuff. And here's what I know. I get four weeks vacation every year. You know how I many I take? One. I take one week typically in the fall to take my kids to the beach because my kids want to go to the beach. I've done that for so many years, and I go and I go and I go, and I've depleted basically all of my serotonin, and I was running off of pure adrenaline. And after three weeks when I didn't need that adrenaline, I crashed. And I was having withdrawals, folks. 
I was having adrenaline withdrawals, and it just caused me to just like, I didn't need this adrenaline that I was running off of that I got up from day one, and I started running on adrenaline, and I wasn't sleeping at night. I'd gotten to where I wasn't sleeping at night, and the reason I wasn't sleeping, I, I didn't know. I mean, you know, Peyton and I, we were talking about it. He looks at my sleep app, and he's like, Lord, son, you don't sleep at all because my, I'm, I'm so keyed up all the time. It took, me, it took me a month. It took me almost until recently in my sabbatical before I could sleep past 5.30, a.m., I, I, no matter what time I go to bed, I, I, I wasn't sleep. Well, I, I'm running off adrenaline because that's what I did. Why did I do that? Because my identity was in Jesus. I'm telling you, I was holy. Man, I, I was holy. I was doing my quiet time. I was praying. I was studying Scripture. I, I, I don't look at pornography. I, the only addiction I have, and it's a major addiction, is caffeine, okay? I've got a major caffeine addiction. But that's not true because you know what the other addiction I had was accomplishment and performance. That was my other addiction. I had to perform, and I had to accomplish. And so my identity was in my work, because if my work wasn't exactly what I thought it would be, then I'm nothing. Then I'm nothing. I'm not enough. I'm a failure. Because that's the message that I had been given. But it was an invalid message because it had come from a broken source as well. Right? And so, so I was discontent, even with a growing church. I wanted more rather than just trusting the Lord. Lord, thank you. See, that's what it does. It, it creates this discontentment. Thank you for what you've absolutely blessed me with. I couldn't enjoy any moment or celebrate any moment because I was on to the next thing. Some of you are like, well, this dude was messed up. Others of you are like, oh, crap. This is me. That's the way I was, man. I, I, my, my, my performance, my achievement, you know, I mean, think about it. You, you think about it. That's the way we're wired, if, especially if you come from, think about it. They make, who do they make movies about? They make movies about William Wallace, right? They make movies about people who accomplish stuff. They don't make movies about some dude sitting on the couch in his underwear eating potato chips all day, Right? I mean, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, whether you like them or not, they're the greatest because they win. Not because they do anything, because they win. They've accomplished, right? I mean, none of you in Tennessee, no, no true Tennessee fan likes Nick Saban. But if he writes a book, you want to read it, ain't nobody wanting to read a Butch Jones book. <laughs> you know, I mean, because it's accomplishment that we celebrate. And so when, when you're me and you grow up the way I grew up and you get these messages, it makes you like, I gotta perform. I gotta. And so my work, man, my, my identity was wrapped up in preaching and in leading and in doing and my work. And here's what Tim Keller said. As I was processing and going through this, here's what I found a quote from Tim Keller that absolutely rocked my world. Tim Keller said that when your identity is in your work rather than in Christ, get this, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. Bam. And what's failure? It's not winning. And what's winning? What you determine it is based off of what somebody else does. And so it leads to misery. And another passage that came out to me was in Luke 20. Jesus sends out his disciples. Do you remember in Luke 20, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, and they came, come back for ministry. And they're so excited because, man, they are so excited because of the ministry they've been doing, and they start telling Jesus, Jesus, guess what? The de we've cast out demons in your name. And Jesus affirmed what they did, and then look what he said. Luke 10, 20, 10. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, your joy doesn't come from what you do. Your joy comes from who you are. And I was like, oh, wow. Lord, you're just, you're rocking my world right now. How many times have I read that and God says, get it. Don't just read it. Get it in your soul. Your joy doesn't come from what you do, but from who you are. And my doing for God wasn't, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't being sustained by my being with God in a way that brought me joy. And, but when I know who I am, when I know I'm chosen, when I'm adopted, when I know I'm forgiven and called and redeemed and holy, and when that is my identity, then I'm whole. Not just holy, but I can be whole. I can be whole. If I'm not, then I get miserable and I get angry and I get discontent and all these things. And folks, many Christians struggle with identity issues rather than in Christ, your identity is something else. Some of you, your identity is in your kids. Some of you, your identity is in your job. Some of you, your identity is in getting married. What is it that if you lost it today, man, you'd be devastated? And I'm not talking about mourn. Maybe that's your identity. And if it's in anything but in Christ, your joy will be stolen. Your joy will be stolen. And so here's what I learned. The new definition of my success is this. And I, I knew it in my head, but now it's, it, hopefully it's in my soul. Now, I'm overcoming decades, so it's not uh, flipping a switch. Amy calls it this every now and then. Amy calls it PSP. Every now and then I can go PSP. PSP is pre-sabbatical pat, okay? <laughs> this is decades of work, right? But here's what I know. My new definition of success is not, it's not winning, it's faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2, here's what, here's what Paul said. Paul said that this is how you should consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. And here's what he says. And a, and a steward is to be found faithful. It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. I was reminded of this backstage. One of our guys come back to me and said, man, I went into a store this week to a convenience store and I had a, a shirt on with a scripture pass reference on it and the lady behind the counter said, I love your shirt. And he said, do you know what it means? It says, and she said, no. He said, he left. And he said, he went and started, got in his car and started to pull out and he said, the Lord told him, go back, write the verse down and give it to her. And I went back in and I wrote the verse down and gave it to her. And I'd love to say, oh, she gave her life to the Lord right there. She didn't, I don't know. But let me tell you something, that was successful. Why? Because it was faithful. He was just faithful to what the Lord told him to do. That's success, folks. Faithfulness. Are we faithful? And here's what I began. I started bawling in, in my psychologist's office, I'm going to be honest. As Amy was with me and we started recounting, I have been faithful preaching the word. I have been faithful in how I've tried to lead you. I know I've been faithful in those things. And God began to give me a brand new perspective. God began to release me from some things. And, and folks, you know, here's the thing. If you'll remember, it's, it's so easy to look successful in people's eyes and, and be a failure in the Lord's eyes. Did you know that? Think about Moses for a moment. Moses, if you, if you look at the book of Numbers again, Moses, God, the people of Israel were griping about water. We don't have any water. You shouldn't take us out of Egypt. So God told Moses, Moses, go over there, take the staff I've got, you've got, that, that was symbolized his presence that he held up and the snake, turning all this stuff. Take the staff and go speak to the rock and I will flow water out of the rock to the people. And, 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 and it's like, man, there's a million plus people here, right? And they're animals. So Moses is angry at the people because they're so hard-headed. So Moses goes over and rather than speaking to the rock, what did Moses do? Moses, he hit the rock twice. 
with the staff. Not what God told him to do. He hit the rock twice, but water gushed. And it must have been rivers of water because it was enough water to, 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 to serve the people and their animals. And Moses was a huge success, right? Wow, look at this guy. We needed water. He hit the rock and water flowed. Successful. No, he's a failure because he didn't do what God told him to do. He was not faithful to what God told him to do. You can be a success in every area and you can be miserable if it's not being faithful to what God has called you to do. Are you faithful? Folks, I've been very vulnerable with you today because I want you to know, man, I love you and I'm honored to be your pastor and I'm grateful that you gave me this time uh, because I can't wait to see what the Lord's gonna do out of it in this church, in this community, and in this world through this church because I, I, I'm, I'm a different leader. Amy has, told, Amy has said, and she told our senior team, and she told our board when we met, Amy and I met with our board to discuss this, and she told, she told them, she said, you know what, before we went on sabbatical, Pat was not the man I married. She, she said, I wasn't going to leave him. I, I thought about killing him a few times. But he wasn't the man I married. But I'm telling you, today, he's not the man I married in a different way. She said, I'm still married to Pat Hood, but he is a completely different man. And folks, I, I, I'm going to lead from a different perspective, and, and, and I want you to understand emotional health, and I want you to understand this. And you're going to hear about this. I'm sure this is going to work out in sermons, right? Today, I want to give you the 30,000-foot view of it. Uh, and I want you to understand, man, your identity in Christ, your surrender to the will of Christ, and being who God created you to be. If you're not those things, your joy is going to be stolen. Your joy is going to be stolen. But God wants you to be not just holy, but whole, and he can do that. Let's pray together, can we? Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for all that you're doing in our church and around the world. And I thank you, Father. I pray that we are faithful people. I pray that we are faithful with your word, that we are faithful with, with your glory, God, that we're not glory thieves, Lord. I, I pray that we don't want to step in uh, anywhere that you're not. I, I, I pray that we don't, we don't go where you're not, that we just wait and, and we want to go where you go. We want to do what you do for your glory, God. And I just pray that, Lord, as we are faithful to you, that you would begin to give so much overflowing joy into the lives, the souls of the people who make up this church, that God, the world would notice that, God, and they would be drawn to that because of faithfulness, Lord. God, help us to know your word like never before. Help us to be faithful like never before. God, help us to live for your glory. God, help us to be people of joy. We love you, we praise you, and I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you what we're going to do right now. We're going to take up our offering. This is a time of response. We're going to take up our offering, and that's one way we respond. So uh, if you don't give online, uh, and, and you can give online, you can go on our app and give. Uh, you can give in here. You can, you can, however you want to give, give. That's how we respond. But listen, some of you today, here's what I know. A lot of you, especially a lot of you dudes, but even some of you women were like, oh, man, I, I can resonate with what he's saying today. And, Man, God wants to do something in your heart, man. You can come at the altar and pray. You can come back and talk to us. Travis is going to lead us, and as he leads us in this time, you let the Lord do in your heart 
what he wants you to do. Our staff is in the back if you want to talk to anybody, okay? So let's all stand right now, and as Travis leads us, let you respond how God has led you to respond.